Welcome everybody to another episode of Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. My name is Fernanda and I'm here with Dr. Linda. We are also here to talk about high performance mastery today. We have an amazing guest, Ari, who's going to be talking to us about how we can maximize our performance in work and in life. The topic for today is four steps to creating a high performance mastery mindset in work and life. And I am excited as once again, this is a topic that everybody can relate to. We all can do things in a better way, in an easier way that it's going to get us better results. So anything that gets us to be better, to do better, to achieve better and to feel better every day. That's what we are all about in this show. So welcome everybody to another episode. I am here in sunny Cancun vacationing and coming back tomorrow, sadly. Uh, but that's the changing setting today. Um, Dr. Linda, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's um, good to see you. You're in Cancun and here I'm in Lake Havasu, Arizona. So you're working on your town ahead of me. But you're going to have all summer long once you get back home because, you know, you haven't experienced yet the triple digits mm -hmm. in Arizona <laughs> deserts. And you're going to be you're going to complete your first your full year in the fall. Is that correct? Yes, like, in August. Year? August. August. Okay, so you got a little bit of a taste of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, well, I'm excited that, you know, we get to connect every single week. We always have amazing guests. And I love researching the guests. I love listening to other podcasts. I dig into their websites. And I had a blast with Ari, such a Y'all are gonna love him. <laughs> he's got an incredible story. And I mean, he's a shaker, he's a mover. He really wants to make an impact on, you know, in life. And it's so great that, you know, we can collaborate with other people through the podcast. And even though not everybody gets to listen to us live, you know, we we get so many people that still listen to this and they're gonna have a treat with Ari. So, you know, the beautiful thing about Ari is, he actually started super young and I'll let him tell the story, but he's been like in personal development since, you know, under the year, um, under 10 years old, he started very young. And I think that's awesome. So he has some really cool stories um, around that, but just his story of how, how he got into this field is just going to blow your mind. You know, so let's uh, tell me, I'm going to tell you blah, 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 <laughs> a little bit about um, Ari. He's got a new podcast and he's definitely wants to reach a lot of people with his podcast. It's about creating change for a better tomorrow. He's also a best-selling author. He's a keynote speaker in health, wellness, and the cultural, um, corporate culture space, which a lot of people are trying to, you know, tap into right now. Um, he's worked with a lot of physical therapists. He's a massage therapist. He uses so many different modalities to work with people, but now he's expanding it um, even bigger with working with companies, working with doctors. And I think a lot of what he has to share with how he's trained corporations, he's uh, we're going to be able to apply it to everyday life about being a high performer for ourselves. So let's bring him on. Ari, how are you doing today? I am excellent. How are you all? We are phenomenal and super excited and happy to have you join us today and talk about how we can all maximize our performance in our work and our life. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad to be here. So thank you for having me and, you know, trusting me with your audience because 
I, I feel like, you know, a person's audience is like their prized possession, right? Not that people are possessions, but you know, it's something that we, we try to take care of. And so the fact that you're inviting me into your audience, I appreciate we're excited. I'm super excited. And just, like I said, I had so much fun just researching you as I do with a lot of our guests. And I get really excited. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. And, and anyways, um, so give us a little bit of your background. If you know someone that's never heard of you, I'm sure lots of people are going to start hearing about you with everything that you're doing in the world. It's just fascinating. And so I'd like to, for you to share a little bit of, you know, how you got into this field and there's always a story behind the story. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's an odd one. I, I, I am, I am what I would call a paradox. And um, by that, I mean, so I started doing gymnastics when I was three uh, martial arts, when I was five baseball, when I was five uh, long distance cycling and um, tennis when I was three. So I grew up, always doing athletic endeavors. Um, by the time I was seven, I started getting hot flashes and migraines, basically going through symptoms of menopause. By the time I was 12, I had to be injected into puberty. What they didn't know, they found out when I was 24. So you can imagine, I, I started getting symptoms at seven. 24 is when they found the brain tumor in the pituitary gland producing basically mass messing up the hormonal system of my body. So long period of time where I have two things happening. I'm an athlete and I'm gaining weight and I'm having all of these hormonal and joint issues and pain and cramping and all kinds of things that nobody could explain. None of the doctors could explain it. None of the uh, you know naturopaths could explain. I mean, I went to both sides, right? And at the same time, I had been raped, molested, abused, bullied, um, you know, basically told growing up that I didn't deserve to live and that if I was going to be alive, I would be suffering a lot of pain and trauma. And uh, that was told to me, not necessarily by words, although some mostly by action. And so I have these two worlds colliding. I'm an athlete who's now getting sick. I'm also very traumatized, emotionally scarred, physically scarred. And at eight years old, my parents say, I think we need to send you to EST. Now, I don't know if, if you or your audience knows what EST is. It's really more uh, for people who are a little older <laughs> that they remember it. But EST was the beginning of the self-improvement movement. <clears throat> so it was created by a guy named Werner Earhart. And you would go into a room where you could not leave for three days. You had to pee in the corner in a trash can. I mean, it was an intense experience. Nine years old, I go to my first hypnotherapist. By the time I'm 10, I'm going to encounter groups in LifeSpring and Landmark and MITT. And I mean, I could go on a list of the self-improvement things that I tried to do and the medical things that I was trying to do and the emotional things. It was like, I had all of the traumas you could imagine on all fronts. And I believe that was for an absolute perfect reason to get me here. And I'll, I'll kind of get into that, but it all culminated at 18 years old. 
I had just graduated high school. My parents wanted to take us whitewater rafting. And so we went whitewater rafting. I was taking a homeopathic remedy of snake venom that the naturopath gave me. He did not inform me that we couldn't have things like Mountain Dew or caffeine with these homeopathics. I ended up sunstroke, heat stroke, um, allergic reaction. Basically, it was like this perfect storm. And I went into anaphylactic shock. By the time I showed up in the hospital, I was already out, not breathing. It took them 26 minutes to bring me back. Wow. Um, three days later, I think it was, I woke up in the hospital room and I sat up and I said, I think I need to be a healer. And that's how it began. Wow. wow. What a wake up call. Yeah. And how it all came together, right? From... We, we often teach that when there is something chaotic happening in your life, when there is trauma, when there is challenges, when there is when something's not going the right way, there is always a bigger door that it's trying to open. And if we remain aware of these rather than just lamenting, you know, what we're losing or what's happening or the chaos. And if we are able to rise above those negative emotions and see what is this teaching me, what can I do with it? we can always just rise above it and, and become better and be better and do better from those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my case, um, my great grandfather had founded kind of the system of socialized medicine in Peru. He was a doctor who worked on the mine owners and the mine owners would get sick and he would say, I need, you know, I need you to let me work on your miners because they're the ones getting sick and giving it to you. If, if you let me take care of them, then you won't get sick, right? And so he was a doctor. He was this very uh, influential person, almost was looking at becoming president of Peru. We found out later when my grandmother had Alzheimer's, a story of him becoming a political prisoner because they didn't want him to run. But the point was, I had that in the back of my head all the time this one person in my family did this major thing to help millions of people. And so I had that in my heart, the whole, my whole life. Like I'm, I knew consciously and logically I'm here to do something more. So I need to stay on this planet and do that. Right. But I had 28 friends who committed suicide. I, the first time I tried to kill myself, I was nine years old. And so it was always the background. So it, it becomes, you have this motivation of, I'm supposed to do something. And then you have this trauma that is going in equal, typically bounds right next to you. You know, sometimes the trauma is a little more, sometimes the, the, thing that you're doing to overcome is a little bit more, but they kind of go in balance. And it's funny because about three weeks ago I was in Denver and I had just facilitated a deep emotional release bodywork uh, retreat with 17 people. Um, it was uh, with the use of psychedelics, um, psilocybin in this particular case. And I find that the body work mixed with the meds is what, and I'll get more into that, I guess, but is what gets the traumas out more. 
but here's the thing. I, I was, it was the end of the night. I went in the shower and I'm laying down in the shower, just letting the water pound me as I'm like flushing off, letting the water run down the drain is like flushing off all of what I just experienced, went through and all that. And I had this epiphany. And the epiphany was that when you pour love into something, everything that comes out is everything that's not love. And it was an interesting realization because most of my life, I feel like I have poured love into, but I've gotten back kind of a traumatic experiences of, of life. And what I realized is that that is actually the perfect design because as I continue to pour love in, there's less and less other shit to come out. You know, if you can imagine like you've got a pot of soup, right? And you're pouring water into it. Everything that comes out is, is the soup, right? You get a little bit of the love <laughs> mixed in, but it's all the other stuff until eventually nothing but the love is what fills you. Right. But until then, everything is going to be opposite of love. And so what it did for me in that realization is it put to the pieces to my entire life together. I pour love in. I'm going to get shit out. I can now transmute the shit instead of suffering from it. I can just be in realization of this is who I am. This is what I give to the world. What I'm going to get back is the opposite. And I'm okay with that because the more I pour the love in, the more I'll get the love back because they'll have less shit in them. Right? Yes. So this was very graphic, I guess, but, um, but you get the idea is the idea is, and this is goes to one of, one of the main principles in mask unmasking, stripping the masks of trauma so that you can perform at your peak. If you are boundaried and barriered by the trauma, if you're stopped by the trauma, your limit to success is right where that limit of your boundary of your trauma is. So mm -hmm. if you can get rid of it, if you can strip down that mask and not fix anything, you're not broken. You've literally just put layers of masks of trauma and inauthenticity on you. And most of it isn't even yours. It's the person that you heard in the corner saying something about somebody else. And you took that in and you said, Ooh, that's gotta be me. I've got to deal with this. I've got to fix this in me. And it's really not that it's just stripping down these layers of trauma so that you can be more full of love. So Ari, you talked about a lot of traumatic experiences that have happened in your life. Yeah. And how every time you pour love, you've gotten some negative stuff out, not, not necessarily love, which is what you're pouring in. What are some strategies that you have used to overcome those challenges that you've had in your life? And how can our audience use similar strategies to overcome their challenges? First of all, asking right questions is really important. Most people, their question is, why me? And that's, that's really just, it's not a question that leads to a solution or an answer. So rather than why me, why now? Why this experience? 
What am I supposed to learn from this? Asking the right questions about it. Am I supposed to learn anything from this or is this somebody else's lesson to learn? Because there's a lot of times that we take on other people's stuff, right? If you're an empathic person in, in general, you're going to take on other people's things that it's not yours to take on. And it kind of robs them of having the experience of taking on their own stuff, right? So the, the tip, the trick is if you can do this, get naked, get in front of a mirror, look at yourself in the eyeballs until you find every piece of love that you have for yourself and ask those questions. Who do I want to be? Where do I want to live? How do I want to experience my life? What is it that I want to experience in the world? What kind of experiences do I want to have? If you, you know, how many people do you know that ask themselves those kinds of questions ever? You know, most people just go to work. I, I'm working a job. Why do you work that job? Because it pays the bills. Okay. Do you like it? No. Are you good at it? Not really. Do you really want to do it? No. If you were doing something else, would you have more fun in life? Yes. What would that be? You know, like these are the questions that we start asking in order to elicit two things. One is the logic and two is the emotion. So the logic becomes, I can't, I want this because of this. It's a very linear kind of mathematical equation versus the emotion, which is, you know, has no linear measurement. You can't measure the waves crashing on the ocean and sitting on your balcony listening to that, right? That's not a measurable kind of thing, but it provides so much for your life or sitting by, you know, a tree and birds chirping, right? That's going to motion. So when you do those questionings, you want to make it as vivid and as emotional as possible so that when you start doing the things that you're going to do day to day, you have that emotion in the back of your mind instead of, I've got to do this thing to pay the bills. It's just a very different way of thinking about life. I call that living and existing. Most people are existing through life, going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home, and it's just existing, right? Coasting. And very few people are actually living their lives, doing what they want to do be being who they want to be where they want to be um just really fulfilling their heart absolutely you know it's funny jim Rohn. i listened to a lot of jim Rohn, and jim Rohn says something he's like do you have to do the six then the next six years like you do this did the last six years of course not you mm -hmm. can take all of your <laughs> knowledge and all of your wisdom and all of your experience and set a path to make the next six years 10 times what the last six mm -hmm. years were. Exactly. We are human beings. We have that motion, that ability to, at a moment's notice, change the course of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I love that thought because anybody who's doing anything can just go, huh, I think I want to do something else now. And the only thing stopping them is the emotional barriers based on the traumas and the things that they've heard in their life, the programming. I love how you're using, you've used your, your mess has now become your message. I know Les Brown talks a lot about that, using your mess to become your message. And you have done that from, gosh, having a brain tumor, like you mentioned, you know, you were raped, you were, 
you know, you were abused. I'm sure there was a lot of um, emotional abuse as well, especially going through those changes, those physical changes as a child with the pituitary gland being impacted. I mean, people cannot even understand the only person you can possibly closely relate to is someone like Tony Robbins, who also had an issue with that. Yes. So you talk about a couple strategies. You gave us a, a couple strategies because I know you work with a lot of corporations, um, mm -hmm. high performers, athletes. But really, we all are athletes in this in this life, you know, in the arena of life. And we're all going to have trauma. We've all had we've all had trauma or are going to have it in our life. So it's really one becoming aware of what you're thinking Two, as you mentioned, it's about asking the right questions and not necessarily asking questions that are going to give you uh, something negative to to hold on to. Oh, why is why am I always screwing up versus, you know, we can instead of asking that it's like, OK, what can I do better next time? So I love how you share that and also even the mirror work, which is very difficult because I would give that to my patients to one of the hardest things to do. It is. It's just to look in the mirror and, and really look for something positive about you. It's, it's just looking into your eyes and saying, you know, your eyes are the windows of the soul. But even in the beginning, if people have difficulty, it's even, you know, I'm learning to love you. Sometimes I say, just say, I love you. And they're like, I can't say that. It's like, it's, I want to love you. I'm learning to love you. So those are some simple strategies that people can use to start making changes today. That does not require going to visit one of us. <laughs> you know, those are really some simple things. Now, you also talked about, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lewis Howe's book, The Mask of Masculinity. Yeah. And it's about, you know, people, we all wear a mask in our life. And we're afraid to remove it because if people really saw who we think they're seeing, we would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm a fraud, imposter syndrome, so forth. So how do you how do you work with people that are struggling with that? Because it just doesn't happen to high achievers. It's it an everyday experience. It happens to everybody. And the idea is that we're we're in this game of life, as you said but life is, life is an endurance sport. It's a marathon. There's a difference though, right? So it's not necessarily necessary to run the entire marathon. See, people think that they have to run. They have to get on that treadmill and keep running on that treadmill because if they ever stop, then that momentum is going to be dead. But we've learned that sprinting, increases performance tremendously versus running all out the whole time, right? Bursts of sprint, bursts of walk, and bursts of steady run, right? Mixing up your day so that you're doing your logical work when your body and your circadian rhythm is meant to do logical work and your creative work when your body wants to do more creative work and figuring out what those are, what times those are for you, because everybody's a little bit differently, right? Different. Um, with regards to like the masks, the reason why that's the hardest thing for people to do, in my opinion, it's my personal truth, is that the first shame is our bodies. 
the first thing that happens when we get born, right, is somebody puts something on us to cover us up. And then all of a sudden throughout our life, we're told, don't, you know, cover that up. That's not for this. That's not for that. That you don't show that. That's, you know, it's all a very shaming kind of thing. And this is really a Western culture issue more than just about any other culture, because most cultures that I've seen throughout the world are not nearly as hard up about nakedness as the U.S. is. And the problem is, is that when we board people up, when we barrier them to something, when we cause shame for something, it drives an innate desire for that thing, right? So you go to France, you see a topless beach. You don't see a whole bunch of men going, I, you know, like, <laughs> I've got to have that. But here, it's very different. You see a, a, a naked breast, and right? It's like this whole production of life has stopped. Remember Janet Jackson and the, the issue, right, with the Super Bowl? Like, barely a moment of, of uh, wardrobe malfunction. And we were talking about it even now, right? I hear bloopers every time there's a Super Bowl. So we have to stop this stigma of shaming this thing that we were born with, right? Mm -hmm. Called our bodies and start making it so that this is an acceptable thing, regardless of the scars, regardless of the stretch marks, regardless of the extra skin, regardless of the too bony, regardless of the whatever that anybody says as far as a judgment, a body is a body is a body, right? You're a doctor. You kind of know this. You've seen a lot of them. I'm a therapist. I've seen a lot of bodies. They don't get much different, right? There's pretty much all the same. You've got two legs most of the time, two arms most of the time, right? A spine, they kind of do the same thing. So what's the problem with it? Like, what's the problem really? So we talk, take away that shame. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have this barrier to people seeing us. So there's, there's correlation between everything. If you do something for you, it's going to translate directly to the people who interrelate with you. Mm -hmm. So you clean up your own feelings of negative self-talk, right? And all of a sudden, the people around you aren't going to feel as comfortable razzing you. In fact, they're probably going to end up either shifting themselves or going away somehow because as you build your momentum right people aren't going to be able to keep up with you and some will attempt to so knowing that you're going to move through stages of people stages of what i want to be when i grow up you know who who amongst us have, hasn't looked back and said hey did I actually plan this life <laughs> that I've been leading or did, maybe I should plan something else, you know, plan something more epic. And we all have that ability. And, and I mean, we, we tend to practice that on a daily basis. I know Fernanda works a lot with, you know, coaching people in the mindset and all three of us having the background of the field and, and health and wellness and the importance of, not only our mindset, but also what are we putting in our body? Because that also does impact the mindset. Wouldn't you say, haven't you seen that with a lot of clients that you've coached and setting up wellness fairs, going to corporations, 
of making, helping people reach their optimal performance and their own bodies and health. So like you said, we have that ripple effect because everything we do in essence, what I do does impact you and vice versa. And if we're becoming better versions of ourselves, that does have a ripple effect in the whole consciousness of this world without getting too woo-woo, but it's really true. <laughs> the woo-woo is wow. Yeah. <laughs> we can just, you know, leave that. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll just give you a quick story and then get into that. So I'm 18 years old. My massage school is campus, backs up to the campus of Intel, Nike, and Tektronics. And I'm in Beaverton, Oregon. Um, by my third month in school, I'm running the clinic. And so I said, well, we need more clients for the clinic. And we have these corporations. Why don't we go to them? Thereby, I started three of the first corporate wellness programs in the country, completely not knowing that that's what I was doing. But they happened to be there and we needed people. So I'm at Tektronix and I'm talking to the 60-year-old engineer and he asks me what Reiki is and how this lay on of the hands thing works and stuff like that. And I thought about it for a little bit and I said, well, let me, let, let's go engineer side with this. So we know the palms of our hand put off infrared heat. Infrared heat, we know, penetrates two to three inches in the body, that wavelength. Infrared heat also causes an inflammatory response in your body when you put your hand on somebody's body or close to their body. It still creates, that wavelength still creates a penetration that is three to five inches in the body, thereby causing the chemistry in your brain to send chemicals to say, ooh, what's going on in there? We've got to go check it out. We're going to send some pain relievers. We're going to send some scar tissue removers. We're going to send some of our body chemistry to go figure that out. So this was like a really basic explanation on how lay on of the hands works, right? To get the woo-woo to be more wow. We are the same thing. Energy is the same. Doesn't matter whether you're in the Western side of medicine, the Eastern side of the medicine, you're doing the same thing. The idea is to cut out inflammation right? So inflammation is the cause of disease. So emotionally speaking, let's just take it there. What is inflation? I'm inflamed. It's anger, right? You're heated, you're inflamed. So what are the foods that cause inflammation? Well, unfortunately for us, most everything these days, the reason why is because all the food that you see in the middle of the store in a grocery store has been packaged with inflammatory items like high fructose corn syrups and maltodextrins and chemical derivatives and sweeteners and fillers and all kinds of things. But that's not the, the insidious side. You wanna know what the insidious side is? The insidious side is the things that we think are healthy. So we could all cut all of these processed foods out and just eat around the aisles like kind of the functional medicine doctors have been saying for the last few years, right? But what if the things that are around the aisles are still causing the inflammation that's causing you to be inflamed, allergenic, and diseased? So there are things called lectins and there are things called nightshades. And most people think of these as healthy foods, nightshades, eggplants, tomatoes, right? These are supposedly healthy foods, but for some people, they cause massive inflammation. Lectins, beans, lentils, things like that, even garbanzo beans and hummus that I love, 
it's a lectin. It causes massive gut inflammation and problems with your body's hormonal system. So the thing is, is that we don't know what is good for every person until we test them. And so before I do anything, I do two things before I do anything else. The first thing I do is I eliminate any foods that could possibly inflame. So for three weeks, we take them out completely. It's not easy, especially for Italians who don't want to leave their tomatoes behind, but it's only three weeks. So that's the first thing that I do, which is the opposite kind of of the order in which most people do. The next thing I do is do the tests because we don't want to throw a bunch of darts at a dartboard and guess based on symptom. We want to test. We want to test everything, blood, urine, stool, saliva. We want to test hair sample if there's heavy metals or allergies. I mean, we want as much possibility of getting the right answer the first time as possible. So that's when we test is after they're cleaned out of all these things, we get a more accurate reading. We leave off the false negatives, false positives as much as we could. So now we're going to have an actual reading of what it is that's happening in you specifically that's causing you to express the genes of being inflamed based on those things that are in there. Now we have a place to start. We have a place to begin. Until we do those two things, we have no place to begin. Next thing we do is what I call program design and development. This is something that most doctors, most therapists, most trainers, unfortunately have no freaking idea how to do, and they really need to get their shit together to do it. Because most of the time you go into the doctor seven minutes later, you leave the doctor's office with a prescription or a thing, and they say, we'll see what happens, come back in a month, we'll check it out, we'll see. That's not a plan. When you know all of the information in advance, you can design a plan that you can then test and check. Just like if you're doing digital marketing, just like if you were doing a business plan, you have to test, you have to have you know markers that you can say, okay, did I hit my marker? Did I not hit my marker, right? So you program design and develop it so that the people, the patients actually get freaking results. This is like the biggest thing I don't understand about the medical profession right now. Where's the results? We have results. They're just not the results of getting healthy. Mm -hmm. So who's assessing and reassessing the protocols and the plans and the things that we're doing in order to make people healthy? Who's the one? So you said, I want to do big things. Absolutely. I want to change this system so that it actually works so that we get the right health outcomes, so that our bodies are not being you know, bombarded with chemicals and stuff to destroy us. And by the way, all of these chemicals, xenoestrogens, neurotoxins, neuro, you know, these are all things that cut off your ability to think critically, common sense, cut off your ability to emote any kind of, with any kind of emotional intelligence because you're in complete reaction mode all the time to everything. Your adrenal glands are shot, you're inflamed, you don't have the capacity at that point to even think a rational thought. And so if we're doing that to the society, well, look at what we got. Who is the people that are gonna step up and say, no more, this is not gonna do it. 
you know, and actually increase performance in companies. What happens when you take care of your, your employees? They like you, they like coming to work and they feel good. So they're productive. <gasps> I mean, it's not, it's not like, like this is rocket science, right? Treat people well, don't poison them. They're going to be healthy, happy, and spend their money on you. <laughs> so the right? same thing happens with ourselves. We treat ourselves well. We feed ourselves well. We sleep well. We pamper ourselves. We love ourselves. And then we get the same thing in return from our bodies in the terms of health. Yeah. Imagine for a mm -hmm. second. There you go. Imagine for a second. You're driving your car and all of a sudden, woo, the lights go on, right? You panic for a second. You pull over. The officer doesn't have his hand on a gun. He has his hand on maybe a massage gun. And he says, you were speeding. You must be really stressed out. Let me relax you a little bit. And it gives you a little bit like five-minute massage, right? Are you going to drive home slower? Are you going to be friendlier to your parent or to your wife, to your you know child, to your spouse, to your people? Like you're going to act differently. So yeah, when you feel good, you act differently towards other people. When you treat yourself well, typically you'll treat other people well. Mm -hmm. You know, healed people heal people. <laughs> yes, I think it kind of loops back to what you said in the beginning about the awareness and asking the questions. There's always about asking the right questions. So that's, um, there's so much I'm sure that we can get into with, you know, yeah. what people can do from sleep and exercise and so forth. I think you gave them some really good strategies to start with, you know, one about removing the mask and two is, you know, not, it's not about why is this happening to me? It's more about what, what's the lesson that we, we need to learn from this so that we can become better individuals, but also just looking at life. Like we are, we are athletes in this, in this life, in this world, and the, the world is the arena and, and our performance is going to depend on the mindset, what we're eating and movement and, and there's so much more. So right. what would you say would be, um, as we're closing up here, you know, one big takeaway that like a mantra that runs in your mind. So I don't like mantras or affirmations because I don't think emotions have words. Mm -hmm. Emotions don't have a language to speak. They only have a sound and a vibration. So my suggestion is to scream a lot, to move a lot, to vibrate a lot, you know, to, if you're feeling something, express it. Even if you have to go into another room to express it for a moment, but express it, get it out of you. You know, express, expression is what we do when we're breathing properly. We express and then we inhale, right? So people who have trouble with lungs and are typically the joy of life. So breathing in your intention and breathing out the pain is a good technique for mindset. Using to meditate, a lot of people don't like to meditate because they think they, they're supposed to silence themselves. And that's really not the key to meditation. You can't silence your brain. It's not possible. But if you take a candle and you have a focal point of something flickering and you have an intention that you set on it, or your question even better, 
And then you just let your mind work itself through the stages of answering that question. It's a good way to build that mindset, but also to get your, your emotional IQ on board with your intellectual IQ so that your linear and nonlinear are in alignment with each other. And then, you know, we talk a lot about breath work. Breath work is different than most people think, right? You can use breath work and probably get a better fat burning workout than if you were at a gym lifting weights. Did you know that? Like 80% of all fat loss happens through your expiration. And so if 80% of fat loss happens through expiration, then wouldn't we want to expire more, <laughs> right? So anyway, that's, that's the thing. So with breath work, with mindset, everything, it's not about trying to fix yourself. That's the, I guess that's the thing. Strip the layers of masks of inauthenticity and that will, you know, that with breath work calms the nervous system, relaxes you so that you can think more effectively and efficiently and be higher performance. I love it. Wonderful. Um, Ari, just to finalize now, where can people find you and work with you? Yeah. So create a new tomorrow is my podcast right here. If you wanted to check out the book on Amazon, it's a new tomorrow. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing for therapists, mostly these psychedelic retreats where we do deep emotional release mixed with quantum healing, NLP hypnosis, and about 20 other modalities. And so uh, I'm interested in more therapists and doctors and people who are in the psychotherapy field coming and experiencing this so that they can get to the somatic part. So I'll leave you guys with this thought. The issues are in the tissues. Mm -hmm. So the place to get to them is not in here, but in here. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'll leave you with is we made all this shit up and we could do better. I love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ari. It's been a wonderful time and so informative. Super, a lot of things are super easy to do. We can all do them and we can all do them right now, immediately. Mm -hmm. Like all of the techniques, all of the, the advice that you gave us is things that we can start implementing immediately. We don't need any fancy tools or equipment. We only need ourselves asking the right questions, looking ourselves in the mirror and just really trans making a decision to, to transform our lives. The next six years don't have to be like the last six years. So thank you so much. It's been an amazing, amazing time. And I, I know that we can talk for a couple more hours if we, if we <laughs> had the time, but yes. we have to go and it's been a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you. Uh, thank thank you, you so much, Ari. Ari. We really learned a lot, appreciated lots of nuggets for us to, to apply to our lives and also for our audience. So Absolutely. until next time, we'll see everyone next week. Have a great week and make it the best day ever. See ya. Bye-bye.